Good afternoon from me as well. Uh, it is a pleasure being here with you today. Thank you very much to Capital Link for the invite uh, to moderate such a great uh, panel uh, with distinguished guests. I think uh, a big thank you also to all the previous uh, panelists uh, that spoke today. I think they gave uh, very good insights on the direction of the industry, but I'm particularly excited to be moderating uh, this panel because I think um, the ship owners' views uh, have a special weight with respect uh, to the strategic direction of the industry. And I think everyone in the room uh, is expecting to hear uh, some uh, very good uh, insights. Uh, what uh, I have prepared uh, today is to speak about uh, the green uh, transformation, um, the EU regulation, and in particular the ETS that uh, came up, geopolitics and the impact on the industry, the future of shipping in Europe and in Cyprus, and of course uh, the forecasting. For some of the topics we have touched upon in previous panels, but again, it's a different uh, way to hear it from the ship owners. I'm delighted that I've got with me uh, Ms. Semiramis Pallou, CEO of uh, Diana Shipping and Chairperson of Helmeba and Intermeba. Um, Mr. George Muscas, CEO of Olympian Ocean Carriers and Zella Shipping. Mr. Petros Papas, CEO of Starpalk. And of course, Mr. Polis Hagioannou, CEO of Safepalkers. Let me start with a topic that has been discussed a lot today, the green, the green transformation. We see the ambitious uh, targets set by the EU and the IMO. We also see a lot of developments in the technological landscape, but uh, not a lot of things are concrete or certain as of today. So my first question is, how big of a risk is it to invest uh, in, uh, in uh, new uh, ships now? and whether there is an opportunity side to it as well. What is the winning strategy? Let me start by Mr. Polis Hagioano and come forward. You should ask for, start with the other panelists because, because uh, I will not uh, answer too many questions because people are interested to hear our guests. So I stay in the last to give a comment, which is mostly in line, would be in line with the other people. So let's hear the other people first. I think we're interested to hear you as well, Pauline. <laughs> <laughs> you, you will hear me, but I'm the local guy here, so it's better we start with the guest, and then, you know, I can always give my opinion, which you know it anyway. We can, uh, we can start with the guest, as you suggested. You also gave some hints earlier. So I think people are keen to hear uh, your thoughts, Mr. Hajiwannu. But uh, let's start uh, with uh, Mr. Petros Babas, and we can move forward. Thank you. I'm very happy to be in Cyprus. Thank you for inviting me. I always make sure that I'm here. Maybe I move uh, in the future and live in Cyprus. Yes, yes. We'll see, we'll see. Okay. Um, 
as far as uh, zero emissions, um, I think the technology is, is, is coming, but I think that uh, the infrastructure and uh, the fuels are not there. The infrastructure will take time and, and cost, and I think that the fuels will not be enough to be able to cover the needs of, um, of a fleet, of the world fleet. And let's not forget that um, there's going to be a major problem in the competition between industries. Who is going to get the zero fuels first? And my view is that the zero fuels will go first to the most polluting industries. And we're not, we're not that. So what do we do? Um, we try to take measures so that we comply with regulations. And such measures are installation of ESDs, operational measures, um, keeping uh, the hull clean, which is very important. Uh, you know, if you dry dock a vessel within a year, and depending on the trade you ha you've had, you, your, your hull is going to be 10 to 15% um, dirtier than after, the, after exiting the dry dock. And then two years later, this is going to be 25%. And if you have a five-year plan three years down the road, it's going to be above 50%. It could reach 100%. And then what do you do? You start cleaning um, with divers, and you damage the paint, and, uh, and then your vessel just doesn't uh, perform. And I'm not certain that the new types of uh, paints actually can uh, deal with uh, long stays in ports. So, so what we're doing in our company, we're trying to um, we're trying to develop a, a, a rover that will be cleaning the the hull bottom, and uh, it's a very difficult uh, task. We will see in the future. We'll let you know. But uh, for the time being, we've already been working on this for two years. If we succeed, this is going to be a major achievement because, let's say, uh, a cape that uh, burns 40 tons, 25% of 40 tons is, uh, is 10 tons. You save 10 tons, it's actually 30 tons of uh, um, CO2 per day, per sailing day. Um, so, and then, and then the question comes, what do you do? Do you order new buildings or, or not? Um, I think that it will take 30 years, with, at the rate that uh, vessels are being built, it will take 30 years to renew the fleet. So actually, it makes sense to order new buildings that um, are more uh, efficient than the existing vessels. But I think I should stop here so somebody else can talk and then we'll revert. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Muskas. Yeah. Um, I think that we have no choice but to continue with your program to build ships. Uh, you have to build the best and most economical ships that you can find at the moment. But if we're going to wait until we find new fuels, then you'll never build a ship because it's going to take years and years and years 
So, uh, I mean, we this year, a year ago, we took delivery of a of a cape size in Japan uh, from JMU, and we found that the saving consumption is up to 20 tonnes a day from a ship that's 10, 12 years old. That's a huge saving for the environment. That, and that's, that's all we can do for the time being. And on the second-hand ships, the way we're trying to help is and to bring down uh, environmental exposure is by in improving our paints. And we're putting very high-quality paints on the ships costs about $250,000 extra. But it's worth it because you can save maybe on a cams a max, maybe two tons a day, like Bolly said before. So that, that's a lot. That's a lot of saving. And um, I think that's all you can do for the time being until someone comes up with an actual solution with a new fuel. Thank you, Mr. Muscas. Uh, Ms. Pagliou. Ah, yeah, the, we have to share the microphone. Um, so the IMO has set some uh, rigorous uh, uh, goals for 2000 and, uh, 2030 and 2050. I'm sure you've all uh, heard of those. And uh, to be honest, we will not be able to achieve these uh, targets unless uh, people start investing in new technologies, new fuels, new, new vessels. Um, and especially for 2050. For 2030, we can use um, operational uh, efficiency measures. We talked about silicon paints. We talked about maybe even rotors or um, installing a ca carbon capturing uh, technology when it comes because it's still not there. And I think we'll be able to reach the milestone of 2030. Uh, but 2050 is another another topic. Definitely more. It needs more uh, radical uh, changes and investments. Um, uh, I wanted to say that uh, there is a Clarkson's report which refers to the fact that we they foresee that there will need to be one trillion. US dollars investments in for the next 10 years in order to reach these um, neutral um, carbon emission fuels and vessels and about 3.7 trillion investment by 2050 in order to achieve the target set by the IMO. Now you asked whether it's a risky investment. Uh, personally, and as Diana Shipping, we've already placed an order for two dual-fuel methanol Camsarmax vessels. Um, shipping is risky, especially when one is investing in new technology, new prototype vessels, as people were investing in Camsarmaxes back in 2005 and post-Panamaxes in 2008. Um, we believe that we need to help drive the industry in the right direction, so we are convinced, as Diana Shipping, that by placing these orders, we are helping the industry move forwards to a more sustainable um, industry. However, we're not convinced that this is the shortcut and the best solution uh, in the long term, but people have to start moving, and that's what we're doing. Um, we believe that we're helping um, instill in our people, in our seafarers, in the company, a culture of more sustainable uh, shipping. People are uh, learning and upskilling and uh, they are aware that we need to move forward. Um, that's it for me.
Thank you very much for a, a direct uh, answer. I'm going to stay a bit longer with you, Ms. Pallu, uh, on your role, uh, on your active role over the last uh, few years with uh, Helmeba and Intelmeba. Can you tell us a bit more of how this NGO is uh, contributing to the shipping transition? Thank you. Helmepa and Intermepa are very close to my heart. Um, it's a non-governmental organization, for those of you that don't know, um, which was founded 40 years ago by one of the most prominent Greek ship owners, Greek-American ship owners, George Livanos, in order to promote the environmental awareness at a time when um, environmental regulations were not in place or were just starting to to commence. Um, so they got together, ship owners and the Panhellenic uh, Seafarers uh, Federation, to get together and instill awareness in their uh, crew, um, improve safety on vessels, reduce the emissions and the pollution on ships on a voluntary basis. Um, so 40 years on, we are at a similar cross, crossroad with Helmepa and Intermepa. We're not talking about environmental regulations anymore, really, because those have been in place for a while now. But we're talking about sustainable development and understanding that apart from the environmental importance, we need to create a society which is inclusive and equal, doesn't leave anyone behind and promotes as well good governance in the companies. So, um, along with SIMEPA, whose chairman is Mr. Tsavleris here, an example is a, a project we're running at the moment called Metavasis, where uh, it's funded by Lloyd's Register, and uh, at least 50 members are participating in various stakeholders, such as SIMEPA. And uh, we have taken upon us to train more than 1,500 seafarers, port uh, personnel and uh, ship um, and office personnel on new skills, on uh, digitalization, energy fuel efficiency. And also we've taken upon us to raise awareness to over 15,000 school children, of 700 teachers, and at least a million residents in the um, Eastern Mediterranean, where the climate uh, crisis seems to be affecting the, the area the most. So all in all, Helmepa and Intermepa are a collaborative, open platform where people can exchange ideas and best practices in order to drive the industry into the right sustainable direction. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Mr. Hagioannou. You are the last one, but we still uh, would like to hear your views as well. Yes, uh, my views are the same like uh, the previous uh, speakers. We invested like uh, Petros Papas did and uh, Diana Shipping as well in two methanol ships. Uh, we don't believe we should do something more at this stage regarding uh, new, new uh, dual fuel ships. Uh, simply because I've seen no interest the last six months we placed the end. Uh, the order, no one asked any questions from the chartering uh, people about the ships, and I don't expect anyone to ask questions for those ships until after their delivery in 2027, late 26 and early 27. So two ships are enough until we see what uh, will happen. As Petro said, I think the, there are many dual fuel uh, big container ship uh, ordered uh, order by major liners. 
I always believed and I always said that uh, the, the changes will be driven by these companies. Uh, the MERSCs and the MSCs and the C CGMs of this world, they will capture all the, all the fuel, whatever green methanol will be available in the, in the next five, six years. I don't think we'll get any. And uh, even we take the risk on ourselves that maybe this is not a fuel for the future and uh, suddenly these ships will be simply worth what any other phase three vessel is worth. So for the time being, we will uh, stop there and we'll try to upgrade with the cooperation of our charters, uh, all our ships. We have upgraded 80% of our fleet with low friction paints and ducts. We're looking to a few other things as well that uh, could be possible. We, we are not convinced that there are many things left to be done. I'm not sure about the hull cleaning systems. So the, what I want to say, and Lucas previously mentioned, is it is the standard of hull cleaning uh, worldwide has uh, diminished because most of the time charters pay for it and uh, they want to pay the least possible amount, if possible 10,000, 15,000. Okay, you pay 10,000, 15,000, they clean 50% of the ship and, the, and they say to you it's cleaned the master will accept because he can, has no other means. He can see whatever they show him, <laughs> and he accepts that the ship is clean, but it's not cleaned. And it's not easy to clean a ship of, of 230 meters and 35 meters beam uh, in a space of 12 hours anywhere in the world. You need two or three days. No one wants to lose two or three days and wants to deliver the ship as fast as possible. There are no standards. If, if, if only if governments, uh, I mean, uh, Europe, uh, US, um, IMO apply cleaning standards among diving companies and make it mandatory that these ships are properly cleaned, uh, only from there will save huge amount of, of emissions, only from there. I'm convinced that all over the world, the cleanings they are doing on ships are partial and uh, I don't know if Petros uh, was checking on some equipment to invest uh, some robots and if, if these things develop, maybe you should give us a little bit more insight on that. I have no, no idea about this project. Thank you. These are underwater robots working uh, in, in, in a sea environment. It's a very difficult... Uh, Thing to do because it's a, a very aggressive environment. But as, as I said, we're working it for two years already. And basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to prepare to, um, to build a robot that doesn't cost a million dollars or half a million because there are people that are offering them those for half a million. We got one from someone and after a year and a half it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> so uh, we're trying to to, to build something that will work and at much less cost. We'll see, we'll keep you, we'll keep you posted. Thank you very much. I think I will keep the fact that there is still a, a lot of uh, uncertainty with respect to the uh, uh, green transformation. However, there are steps being done towards uh, that direction and there is some innovation going on as well. I will stay to a related uh, topic, and I will stay with you, Mr. Babas, on the introduction of the new EU ETS from 1st January 2024. 
obviously this is a big topic. The, the most obvious question is whether it is achieving what is meant to achieve, so to push uh, the, the, the industry um, uh, towards uh, carbon emission uh, reduction for ships. And also, uh, on, on the details of it, is it clear, is it easy to implement, and is it indeed uh, achieving what it should, i.e. penalizing the polluter? Thank you. Um, first of all, I don't think that every area in the world should uh, introduce their own uh, terms and conditions. I think that's why we have the IMO, and I think all this should be done through the IMO. Anyway, uh, this has not happened, and I think what's going to happen in the future is the following. First, I think more efficient vessels will be coming to Europe, and therefore it's going to be more expensive. Second, I think that... Um, Trade may, there may be less trade exactly because it will become more expensive. And I think both of these things actually will um, turn against the consumer. At the end, I'm not sure whether it's going to be polluter pays or consumer pays. Um, and you see what's happening right now. I mean, the public may revolt at some time, but that's going to be in the further future. You see what's happening with the farmers. And you see that the EU is backtracking on the terms that they imposed on them. Um, so I think overall this will end up perhaps in some uh, pollution reduction, but not major because trade will continue even at a, at a lesser degree. Uh, but it will be a, an additional cost on, uh, on consumers and it it's a practice that should not have started. I think such measures should be global through IMO. Now, regarding polluter pays, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, um, if the charter is the polluter because he takes a car from, from here to there, uh, actually in our charter parties they do pay for the EUAs and um, we have had no problem up to now dealing with them, they usually pay along with the charter hire and then at the end uh, there may be some, uh, some, uh, we'll see if, if there are some differences, we settle them at the end of the, of the charter. Thank you very much. I will uh, come back. Uh, a bit later on on the, on the regional aspect of uh, the regulation. But before that, uh, Mr. Muskas, can you hear your thoughts as well? Yeah. Um, I think what's the problem this is going to cause is that it's going to upset trade as a lot in Europe. I mean, the, uh, people will avoid doing long haul into Europe because there'll be more ETS to pay. So they're, they're, it could affect the whole pattern of trade. In other words, are you going to take a ship from Australia to go to Rotterdam? Or if you can find the same cargo in South Africa, you would not take it from South Africa because you've got less ETS. 
Also, I heard today that if you charter a ship from U.S. East Coast to China, you pay ETS if the ship started in Rotterdam. I mean, which is ridiculous, because the actual voyage you're doing has nothing to do with Europe. But that apparently you will be charged for the ballast leg from, uh, from Europe. Um, and so I think it's going to upset world trade. And you know, people might say, well, you know, we're going to avoid going to Europe. We're gonna, and in the end, the European consumer is going to pay a lot more money for, for their goods, their manufactured goods, as well as the raw materials. I mean, that's all. It's going to be passed on. Yes, the charter pays us, but the charter is not going to lose the money. It's going to be passed on in the cost of the product, of the, of the cargo. Miss Bellew. Thank you. Um, I'm surprised sometimes when I talk to people that they seem to not realize that the ETS, the European ETS, has actually existed for the land-based industry since 2005. And then in 2012, it went into the aviation. And finally, since IMO wasn't taking, um, uh, how do you call it, um, strong measures uh, to reduce the emissions, uh, Europe had to step in and place the EU ETS into the maritime industry. So you're asking whether it is an effective uh, measure. Uh, we cannot talk about shipping at the moment, but uh, looking into the land-based industry, I think it's an, a very effective measure which has reduced uh, pollution in factories and industries. But it also has incentivized the companies to invest in new technology and reduce their emissions and become more efficient in, the, in their processes. Um, so having said that, I believe that it will have a positive effect in the shipping industry as well. I do not agree with the uh, question that you say whether they are penalized or polluting the, penalizing the polluter. I think it's um, incentivizing the industry to take better measures uh, and invest. And uh, also, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the one that will pay is the consumer. And I think we all realize that. Um, you asked as well whether it is easy to enforce. I want to share with you a, a story with Mr. Um, Andreas Hadzijanis, who unfortunately isn't with us today on the panel. But it was a couple of years ago, I think before 2018, when he saw me on the island of Spetses and he said, Samiramis, this MRV uh, that, people, that the European Union is trying to impose, measuring and uh, reporting and verifying our emissions, is only the step before they start taxing the shipping industry. And then I wasn't very um, informed, so I wasn't quite sure what he was talking about. But 2024, and here we are, we have in place the MRV, which has been in place since 2018. So there is the measuring and verification and reporting system in place. So it's been very easy, in general, to report the emissions uh, for the tax purposes since 2024. So he, he knew what he was talking about. Obviously. Uh, Mr. Hajuano, and, and if you can also add uh, to the conversation the fact that, okay, it is, as people have said, a more regional uh, measure. It's, uh, it's in Europe. 
In addition, we've got all of these uh, geopolitical uh, developments that, again, may have a regional impact as well. How is that affecting uh, specifically the shipowning community in Europe and in Cyprus? And uh, I'm going to pose the question straight as well, whether there are any thoughts, whether you are getting any competitive disadvantage in any way. Of course, European fleet will be disadvantaged uh, uh, in the long run because you make uh, business more difficult in Europe and the Europeans mostly trade in European ports. We don't uh, want the Russians, we don't want the Chinese a lot. So uh, the polluter pays principle applies to a certain extent. Uh, not every charter is so willing to pay this EU ETS. Uh, some they don't even know about what we are talking about. I'm not talking about the big charters, the smaller ones. Some of them say, okay, I give you uh, 8,000 euros against uh, this uh, fee and you pay the rest. <laughs> they think it's a negotiating uh, process or a negotiating part. Thank God the market is improving so we don't enter into these discussions. Also a very critical point is where all this money are going to go? I mean, th there will be no money given back to the people who will make the investments into green ships and to up, uh, into, into new technologies. All these billions of dollars, no one is discussing. The politicians, of course, will handle it. And, but in what projects? Will they uh, invest it in, uh, in uh, projects related to uh, new fuels, green fuels? On, uh, on, uh, on, uh, on where all this money will go, or will be a few projects created left and right and this money will disappear in, in uh, different pockets? This is a big question that we have to, to address. Regarding the geopolitical, as you say, our ships are not passing from the Red Sea from, from December. We stopped passing because we, we knew that we would be targeted. And uh, we are US stock listed. One of my charters argued, they all, I have to, uh, to say that they all accepted to divert ships at the time when we told them our, our uh, thoughts. Of course, they say, you are not Israeli. Yes, but I am U.S. listed. So it happened. U.S. listed is target. And who is passing now from the Red Sea? Who is making the big money by offering cheap tonnage to, to cheap freight to the charters and has, hence uh, higher... Uh, 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 charter higher rates and they don't even pay insurance to their insurance because they don't have any risk. The Russians and the Chinese, these are the people who are gaining out of, so we're chasing the, the, the Russians with the sanctions and we are giving them now a corridor of passing through and making money. So I think all these things are, are working one against uh, another, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not uh, a good way when you apply in one part of the world regulations and in the other parts they are thinking about and they try to, to be more com competitive. And at the end of the day, as uh, Semiram said, I think the, the consumer will pay the cost of, of it you know, in one form or another. Thank you, Mr. Hagioannou. Uh, Mr. Pabas, if you want to add an additional comment on the competitiveness uh, part and how these uh, sort of uh, regional initiatives are affecting the ship owners and they are thinking in terms of the long-term uh, 
future in Europe. Which uh, regional developments you mean? The geopolitical uh, things I mean, of the whole. I mean specifically for the ETS, but also there are other factors like the geopolitical environment that inevitably is affecting um, our uh, region in a different way. You mean taxation? No, no, geopolitical things. Well, uh, well, first of all, we have the same problem uh, with the police, actually. We had uh, two of our vessels attacked two weeks ago. Um, the, one, the one, actually, the master thought that he was hit because the, the, the bomb or whatever that was actually exploded 30 meters away from the vessel. And the, ves and the second did hit the vessel, but fortunately the damage was uh, relatively minor. And that's also because we are listed in the U.S. Uh, in, in the second, actually, instance, we were carrying um, a cargo to Iran. So we thought that that shouldn't be a problem. But anyway, um, so we decided, we decided that um, we will not be passing through Suez and the Red Sea for a while, depending on how uh, things will evolve. Uh, now, on the geopolitical side, we are in a situation where we have the Houthi problems, we have the Russian sanctions, we have Panama Canal, and um, I actually disagree with uh, Patrick, who previously said that um, it doesn't affect a lot. I mean, just, just if you have a vessel in the U.S. Gulf, and you want to carry your cargo through Panama Canal to China, it's 10,000 miles. If you have to go through Suez Canal, it's 14,000 miles. And if you actually have to go through the Cape, it's 15,500 15 miles. So actually, as the situation is right now, the, the miles increase is 50%. And if you start from the continent, the increase going through the Cape instead of uh, Suez Canal is 30%. And I'm sure that there are a lot of vessels. Uh, Polis actually earlier had the exact figures of uh, how many bulkers do uh, pass Suez today versus the past. So I think that's a pretty big percentage of vessels. and. Uh, it's a much longer way to take. So I think it does have an effect. The question is, if all this goes, and I would say Panama Canal perhaps at some point will have more water, and at some point the Houthis, if the Israelis stop their attacks in Gaza, maybe they will stop as well. Who knows? Not so certain about it. But this could be something that would uh, finish in, uh, in a few months. How would the market react? To, I remember a, couple, a few weeks ago when, um, when there was a rumor that the Houthis would stop attacks, the, the FFA market went down by, I don't know, 4 or 5%. What does that tell you? I think, I think that will have an effect. It has a positive effect right now and it may have a, a negative effect later on. The good thing about what's happening right now for us is that it is happening uh, 
during uh, the first six months of the year, where according to the statistics I see, uh, trade is about 46% of the total. The second half of the year, trade is 54% or so on average. So if during the first half of the year um, we're covered with what's happening, I think the second half of the year is going to be a good, a good, uh, a good uh, market as well. So in that sense, we're lucky, where other, of course, other people are really very unlucky, like uh, the Palestinians and the Ukrainians and etc. Well, I hope that Patrick is right, that, <laughs> that the Suez Canal and the Panama is not affecting it, because if we have a Cape market of $26,000 a day in February, which is the highest for 15 years, um, then uh, it means the demand is very strong for capes. So, but I, th I agree with you. I think the, these, these problems are definitely must be causing this sudden increase in the market. It's, it's uh, too much of a coincidence to, to say that it's not affecting the market. Um, but um, we, we shall see. I mean, the, I don't think there'll be an almighty collapse if they all these wars finish, but because I think there's a, there's a strong basis for the demand, but uh, I think we will see a drop in the market for sure. Something to what Holly said. Holly, you were wondering where all this money that the European Union is gathering will go. And apparently, I don't know, I've tried to tap, at the, tap into them, but haven't succeeded yet. There are two funds, the Innovation Fund and the Moder Modernization Fund. The Innovation Fund is for projects that have to do with technology and shipping and uh, green fuel. Uh, they have some caveats where, where Europe has to be the end beneficial, so that's where it doesn't really work with shipping as most of the technology and the shipbuilding process happens in Asia. Um, but we, we, I'm still looking into seeing how to tap this uh, innovation fund. And then the other fund is the modernization fund, where supposedly the money goes to the, the 13 low-income European countries in order to help those countries transition into a, a more energy-efficient uh, um, source of energy. So. Thank you, Mr. Paglio. Mr. Hagioano? Yes, I have no doubt that it will be going to some sort of funds. <laughs> but I don't know what funds will be. <laughs> this, the Europe has to clarify these things and make clarity and ac accountability because it will be a huge amount of money. Next year will be 70% of the CO2 emissions being charged to the consumers, to the, to the charters and hence to the, the, the end product. And from 2026 will be 100%. So, and I believe this of course will work in favor of modern ships, uh, phase three vessels with burning uh, less fuel, etc. And so will be, by 2026, I believe it will be a two-tier freight market being created uh, between uh, modern ships and uh, and older ships. But we need more clarity, not that we will get any money out of those uh, for our investments or our green uh, green investment, at least to know that some of it to be going into, uh, into research about the green fuels, because it's no worse thing when they ask you to do investment in green vessels 
and which you don't know what is the definition of a green vessel and what type of fuel this vessel needs to burn. So this we need to, to understand a bit more. Thank you very much for your uh, responses. And I think we have touched upon a number of uh, significant topics, uh, topics though that create uncertainty as well, like the green uh, transformation, uh, the sort of uh, regulatory environment, the geopolitical environment, and so on. Having touched upon those critical challenges in the industry, um, what the natural uh, question is, is what is your forecast uh, for 2024 and forward? And a second uh, part uh, to the question is what is the one thing to be done or corrected by the industry or the policymakers in order to ease through uh, that uncertainty and the challenges uh, we have discussed earlier so that uh, the future becomes even more optimistic. can start uh, with whoever wants to take this first. Ms. Pagliou. So I think we've heard, uh, heard this uh, quite a bit today on the panels. Uh, the IMO revised its greenhouse, uh, greenhouse gas emissions in 2023 with a commitment to revisit um, and introduce mid-term um, targets um, in 2027. Uh, it is my hope and my aspiration that these uh, new targets imposed into, uh, set in 2027 are ambitious enough in order to satisfy regional um, requirements. It's important to um, refrain or stop uh, other regions such as uh, the UK, we just heard, uh, Asia and the US to impose their own uh, ETS measures because then we'll have a, it will be very complicated for everyone to operate their ships to measure and to price the carbon emissions. Um, so for me, it's probably the most important thing to have a uniform global way to measure the greenhouse gas emissions and to have a global and consistent uniform approach to do that. So IMO has to step up its game and um, uh, impose ambitious uh, targets. Additionally, I have to say that uh, the EU has um, not committed, but has said um, publicly that if the IMO, if it's, if the EU, if the IMO has ambitious enough targets to satisfy the EU requirements, then the EU will withdraw its uh, procedures so that it doesn't burden double the um, shipping industry. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Muskas. About the. Uh projection for the next two years. The projection and the second part is uh, what is uh, the one thing that ca can be done so that uh, there is well, ease I, through I, the uncertainty. Yeah, I, I think that the EU generally has to leave the shipping companies based in the EU not to overburden them because the more we overburden we cannot compete with the with the companies in the Far East. I mean, the Chinese are not overburdened, and there are many other countries in the Far East as well. And, you know, the more they impose upon us, the more difficult it is to compete. And in the end, uh, you, the owners are going to think, one, is it worth being 
being in Europe to operate, or should I move my operation outside Europe? Um, or alternatively, you just get out of shipping altogether if you don't want to move your operation. But it doesn't benefit Europe to keep on imposing regulations which cost money to the operator, to the, to the manager, to the ships, to the running costs of the ships. Um, on the uh, question of the, of the market, well, it looks, I, I agree with the previous panel what they said, that it's very difficult to, f to estimate the demand for next year or the year after. It's impossible to know what the Chinese are going to do in the next two years, and that's a main, you know, the main economy of, of the world right now. Um, but looking at the supply side, I'm quite optimistic that um, on dry bulk, uh, that the market will be will be good. Um, I don't know if it's going to explode. I don't think it will explode, but I think we'll have a healthy market and good returns for the next couple of years, and then there will be new buildings coming in, and that may affect the market. But um, yeah, I I think the returns for the owner will be quite good for 24, 25, maybe early 26. I totally agree with George regarding the EU regulations. They are potentially bringing us to a disadvantage towards the, the rest of the world. And I think another disadvantage that uh, we may have going forward, the European Union, I mean, is the lack of crews which um, which will actually end up being a lack of 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 officers in our, in our offices of people that uh, port captains and uh, engineers in our offices if we don't have any on our vessels and this started happening mostly on the northern side size uh, side of Europe and uh, Scandinavia and now it's coming to us. So I think this is going to be a problem in the future. And of course, as, um, as George described, um, the regulations and the pressure and the pressure on us. So I would say, give us a break. We are dry shipping, dry shipping, shipping in general is moving 90% of goods, as Mr. Peter said earlier, uh, of uh, worldwide, and we're doing it in uh, the cheapest possible way and most uh, efficient environmentally. Just compare uh, the pollution uh, that uh, that other types of uh, of uh, transportation actually exude. So. I think we need to get a break from the European Union, as otherwise we will be at a major, at a major disadvantage, and we may have to move. Now, as far as the, as, as the market is concerned, um, I think this year is going to be fine, and I think actually the whole decade will be okay, and one of the reasons behind that is the environmental regulations themselves. So not only we should embrace them for the benefit of the planet, but uh, we should always keep in mind that they're going to benefit us. Vessels will slow steam. 
um, all their vessels, all their inefficient vessels will go uh, for scrapping. Uh, we will spend more time in ports, uh, in, in dry docks, uh, installing ESDs and whatever else is needed to reduce our, uh, the, the, the pollution we, of our vessels. So actually environmental regulations have a, a double benefit. They're good for the environment and they're good for shipping. And I think this, uh, this will always offer shipping um, a, a good protection against downside. Yes, also from my side, as I said before, I'm very optimistic for, for this year, especially the next uh, three months, three, four months in the summer. I expect a very high market. Second half of the year also will be good. Uh, 2025 will be positive because we will have, uh, uh, we don't have an order book for 2025, and at the same time, we will have hopefully the uh, reduction of. Uh, interest rates, uh, the long expected reduction of interest rates who have not started yet, but there is an expectation. The only gray area is, uh, the, one of the gray areas is not the only, the one of the gray areas is the American elections that we don't know what the outcome will be. And uh, some people already predict the winner that could be uh, Trump. And this may lead to other sort of, of tensions uh, uh, with the trade tariffs with the Chinese and other measures that uh, uh, will come on the front line. So there is a gray area there. Uh, rega regarding um, uh, Europe, always will be a competitive place to operate uh, shipping from uh, Limassol and uh, Athens, Piraeus. The, these two places, uh, they will uh, survive and they will thrive. I think they, they they offer the best quality of uh, living uh, compared with places like Dubai because some people mentioning Dubai and Singapore. I don't think a Greek can live in Dubai or in Singapore for a long time. Cannot survive. Unless you are in your 30s, you cannot survive for more than two or three months uh, the weather conditions. Uh, and uh, Regarding the, the measures that uh, we want to see in the, in the next few years uh, coming, we, we much prefer those to come from uh, uh, global-based measures, from IMO. I know that uh, Greek ship owners heavily criticized IMO in the previous, in the previous uh, rounds of, uh, of other regulations, like the SOX emissions with scrubbers and all these things. It was a very big mistake, I believe. I was saying at the time that uh, it's very bad to criticize IMO in such a way uh, for a regulation that we all knew from 2008 that was going to apply in 2020. So now we are all calling for IMO to step up and take care of the regulations and, and, and uh, use global base for those regulations. And since we, we want this to happen, we should behave ourselves when we don't like what they what the regulations, uh, what they are doing on other regulations and not criticize the only measure that exists for global standards which, through the, which is through the IMO. So that was my comment there. Thank you very much, Mr. Hajioanu. I think I'll give the um, floor to Mr. Chairman 
for any comments or questions he may have. Thank you. First of all, I mean, I commend the, the panel for their comments made because I think they're more and articulate more than factual. In particular, with Peter Papas, I think you hit the nail on the head, the way you put it, because at the end of the day, the European Union, the way they're going, they're actually discouraging ships from coming to Europe. And I think we're already at that risk right now as we, as, as we, as we speak. Secondly, what I want to mention is that uh, I think that the, the, there must be some shape or form or some formula where the European Union can just harmonize itself and work in conjunction with the IMO and let the IMO do its job which it's destined for. The IMO has been accused on many occasions in the past of backtracking or being slack. They haven't because we haven't forgotten the fact that, um, that the IMO has also faced a lot of inconsistency in shipping, a lot of controversy, issues about alternative fuels. I mean, here we had this morning uh, Dinos Arcomanis, uh, who's obviously a person who's, who's very conversed with, uh, with technical matters, suggests that the alternative fuel of the future will be ammonia. Well, here we had in this panel that the fashionable alternative fuel is methanol green. So effectively, ladies and gentlemen, when you have a shipping community of this size and this posture, we've got two companies on here which are listed in the market, who are spending that kind of money, those kind of resources, taking that kind of risk to actually harmonize and have a proper professionally run environmentally friendly shipping business is despicable that they're being accused, uh, criticized, and literally bullied to a certain extent to try to comply with regulations which can't be complied with in the time, for, in the time limitation. The target of the, two, the, the 2050, I mean, a lot of people who are more conversant with technical matters than me have suggested that in, in putting it in ordinary slang language, it ain't gonna happen. Well, that, I don't think it's ain't gonna happen. I think what we really need is that what they really mean is that we'll need more time to actually correlate and be able to come to that kind of uh, uh, target without having a jeopardy in the shipping market. Boilis mentioned that he's just uh, ordered a couple of ships which are with the alternative fuel being methanol green. I recall about a year or so ago, um, Maersk did something similar, and I think they spent about a billion dollars of ships with the alternative fuel being methanol green. And then about six months ago, they came up and they're saying, well, we changed our mind I think the best uh, fuel for the future is going to be ammonia. I've got uh, John Kokoragis in the room here, so he's giving me this uh, smile because he's obviously more conversed with what I'm saying, and perhaps I'm putting it in a more simplistic manner. But I think that at the end of the day, we have to realize that we're all living in a world of regulations, over-regulations, and this uh, inconsistency which exists around us together with a certain amount of hypocrisy, because that does exist, because I mean, there are people who are making money out of this, uh, in this, uh, this uh, insecurity that we're feeling. And I just feel that we should also make an effort, since we have an audience here, where most of them are actually the younger generation, the business at large has to be more inspiring. We have to inspire the next regulations. We can't keep on coming to conferences and air the atmosphere here by talking about inconsistencies, conflicting regulations, and people who've got literally over half a century of, of uh, experience in the shipping, have to scratch their head as to what they can do to conform with the next uh, uh, law which is gonna come out. It's totally wrong, and I think there must be some kind of, I wouldn't say a re revolution, but there has to be some kind of uh, serious dynamic talks and the dialogue with the, with, the, with the government at large and the European Union and the IMO for that matter, to try to put this uh, whole 
industry back on target to ensure that there's a future here and thus again to inspire the next generation to take up this business. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I know that we are out of uh, time. I want to thank uh, all the panelists for the very uh, interesting discussion and for the very direct answers uh, uh, to a lot of questions. I'm keeping the fact that uh, at least for 2024, 2025, uh, the forecast is optimistic. I'm keeping the point on the green transformation that steps are being done uh, forward and towards uh, uh, the, the, the right uh, direction. Um, there is geopolitical uncertainty. Uh, I think there was a prevailing uh, view uh, that too much uh, regulation, and especially if it comes uh, regionally, does not uh, help. And I, I would add here that uh, the shipping uh, sector is uh, strategic as proven uh, for the EU as well. And uh, I want to thank everyone uh, for uh, listening to our panelists. Thank you very much.